ATU. Shabbat Shalom, friends. Shabbat Shalom. I, I wanted to uh, start today by talking about a study that I was reading earlier, actually about a month or so ago, that the New York Times did a number of focus groups of high school kids. And part of what they were wanting to figure out was, it was a general survey of what do you know, what don't you know, where's the sort of state of education in America. But a side piece that they figured out from this survey was that there, the children who were being interviewed in group settings were very, very reticent to speak and to raise their hand. If someone spoke to them directly, what do you think, what do you know, they would answer. But at a big question of, so who thinks or who knows or who, they were very slow to raise their hands. So there's a lot of teachers I'm seeing in the room here, and I don't know if that bears out in your experience or not, probably not at Perlman where everyone wants to talk all the time. I, and the teaching is just tremendous, I know. Um, same with Barrett. Same with Barrett. The question was raised then of why these children were, were slow to speak and didn't want to talk. And when, when the interviewer asked the kids why they weren't speaking as readily or, or why they were so slow, the answer was interesting and it kind of struck me. The answer was, we're worried we're going to say something wrong. It wasn't that they didn't think they didn't know the answer. It was that they were worried they would say something wrong and that their friends would make fun of them or their friends would not like them or their friends would ostracize them because they said the wrong thing. And I thankfully have not been a high school student in quite some time. And uh, as, as Lee and I spoke about or when you said hi to me, I was so happy because just setting foot in Barrick, I felt like I was. And I felt very socially uncomfortable, but thank you again. You did a great job. But I think that that is something that's true of many of us. We're worried when we speak that we're going to say the wrong thing. And whether that's run afoul of social norms or mores, or we're just going to be incorrect, we're worried about speaking. And I think we live in a world, and we've spoken about this already because it's so prevalent, that pushes us to perfectionism, a feeling that one can't make a misstep when you post something online, when you say something out loud. And, and I am talking about what some people call cancel culture a little bit here, but I'm talking about more than that. I'm talking about whenever the, the desire to seem like we are perfect in what we do. Other people are stressed out. I'm not stressed out. Other people might have bad days. I don't have bad days. My meals are always perfect. My kids are always super well-behaved. <laughs> Can't even get, get through that one with a straight face. And we want to seem like we are above the fray or we have it all together. And this happens professionally as well. Feelings of, no, 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 no. This synagogue always knows what it's doing. We, we've always got a plan or whatever job we're in. The feeling that if you make a mistake, if you say the wrong thing, that you're going to be ostracized, that you're going to do wrong. There was a, a famous study of this at a business once where the, there was a team meeting before launching. It was a new product. And the CEO went around the room to the different departments and said, look, if we go forward with the launch on such and such a date of this product, 
right? Are we going to be ready or is it going to fail? And he went around to all of the different department heads saying, you know, is your team ready? Is your team ready? Is your team ready? And every single person said, yes. And what happened when they launched the product? It failed. They weren't ready and it failed. And so what that company actually instituted was an anonymous way of doing that, right? So it wasn't by person, by team, by team, but you could anonymously say uh, they, they did a color, right? So red, green, or yellow, move forward with this or not. And they got much more accurate and honest responses because when it was anonymous, the team leaders didn't feel so bad saying, you know what, for maybe totally fine reasons, our team isn't ready yet, let's push yellow or red. This push to perfectionism is very real. It's very real in our lives. It's been real in our lives for a long time. And so the question then becomes, how do we handle the failures when they inevitably happen because they're going to happen because we're humans? And we see, I actually think, two different ways of dealing with our failures in the Torah reading for today and in the time in which we are in, in the Jewish calendar. So we are in right now what's called the Omer. We've heard of the Omer? Yes, the Torah says, right, we've heard because you can't get married. Right? Okay, we've heard of this. The Torah says that you shall count seven perfect weeks from the end of Pesach until Shavuot. You have to count each day. And so it becomes a mitzvah. It is a mitzvah to count every single day of the Omer. And because it's a mitzvah, it's got a bracha that you can do with it. It's super fun. You, we should all try. But it also, because we're Jews, comes with a lot of interesting laws. So if you forget to count the Omer, the question then becomes, what do you do? So you're counting with a bracha, baruch Hashem, right? It's day, it's day one, it's day two, it's day three. And then day four was a really busy day and you totally forgot and so you didn't count it. So then what happens day five? Do you get to count or not? Ah, okay. We've got our, our halachic scholars here. So the rabbis, or the, in the Shulchan Aruch, it says, no, if you forget to count for a whole day, then you're done counting. You can continue doing it, but without the bracha, because you've missed a day. And so I'm so sorry, but you're out of the running. No more mitzvah for you. But Yosef Karl, while he is the one that we follow, is not the only rabbi who talks about this. Isaiah Detrani says, and Rav Sajigaon both say that you can continue to count with a bracha if you forget. Because they say the obligation falls on each day. And so, I know I'm getting really excited, but I'll explain why this is important in just a second. So each day you can count with a blessing. Why is this important? Rabbi Yosef Karo is saying, once you've made a mistake in the counting of the Omer, you're out. You cannot continue to do it. Better luck next year. Zitrani and Sajigaon are saying every single day presents a new opportunity, a new mitzvah. And so you get to go ahead and say it with a bracha. And this is one way that we can deal with flaws and failings in our lives. The next day is a new mitzvah, friends. This is the Ted Lasso, be a goldfish model. Forget about it, move on, try again the next time. And that is sometimes a very, very real and important way to move forward from failings. It gives us the courage to continue to say, I can try this again. It also helps us perhaps get out of the 
inertia of guilt. When we do something wrong and we are so upset that we did something wrong, it can be hard to move forward. So maybe what we need is a reminder that tomorrow's a new mitzvah and tomorrow's a new day. But there's another way that we can look at it. And we read about that in this week's Parsha. Because while there's something sweet and simplistic about this approach, it's good to just dust yourself off and try again. If one is constantly forgetting the past and moving on, it can be hard to learn from our mistakes. So we see something important in this morning's Torah reading. As Aaron is about to become the high priest, he spends his eight days getting ready. He's going up to the altar on the first time. And we're told in the, in the Torah reading that Moshe turns to Aaron and says, Go up to the Mizbeach, to the altar, and make your offering. And what the rabbis have noticed is that in that line, Moses seems to be giving Aaron two commands in a row without anything else happening. Go up to the altar and make your offering. And there's different ways that you could see it, that he's just talking to him, he's giving him all the instructions at once. That's what one of our commentaries says. But Rashi reads it as a pause, where action is happening that the Torah doesn't tell us about. Krav Go up to the altar and say, and make your offering. So then the question is, well, what happened in that moment? So Rashi believes that Aaron, in the middle of going up to the altar, pauses because he was ashamed, says Rashi. And so Moshe has to sort of whisper to him, for this you were chosen. Go up to the altar. You are here to be a priest. It is time to do the thing that you've been trained to do. You have been chosen. Go up and do it. And Ramban, a later commentary reads even more into what was happening in that moment. What Ramban imagines happened is that as Aaron was walking up that altar lead, that the, that the coins would run up, as he was walking up the altar, the altar itself, which we know was a big square box with horns coming off of it, as he looked up, it appeared to him to look like a cow, or more importantly, a calf. And in that moment, as Aaron was walking up the altar to be the head of the, of the people, to be our religious functionary, he saw something that reminded him of the golden calf, which was his great sin the last time that he tried to be a religious leader in the people. It didn't go so well. And so he looks up and he realizes, there's no way I can do this. I have already made a huge mistake the last time I tried to be a religious leader. I can't go forward which changes then very much what Rashi imagines Moses whispering to him. Because Moses turns to Aaron in that moment, and he says, And I imagine him saying, yeah, I see it too, the golden calf up there. You, Aaron, were chosen to do this, not because you are the perfect representative of human beings to go to God, you were the one chosen to do this because you have already sinned once in your religious leadership. You've made amends. You've proven yourself. Because you have done this, you need to be the one to lead us now. 
It's because of the sins that we've done and the failures that we've made that we can move forward and help others through them in these moments. But the rabbis in the Talmud Rabbi Abahu tells us that the place for the person who has sinned and repented is unattainable by the tzaddik gamor, by the person who has never sinned at all. Right? Someone who has sinned, who has made mistakes, who has atoned, who has done better, they can achieve something that someone who's never made a mistake could never hope to do. And that's the message that I want us to take away when we make mistakes in our life, when we say the wrong thing. It's not that one can just say whatever you want and offend anyone all the time and who cares and just move on and whatever, whatever, whatever. You have to do the tshuva, right? You have to make things right. You have to learn from your mistakes. But having made those mistakes and learned from them, any one of us could achieve the highest, the greatest, to be the Kohen Gadol of our people. And it's our job to think about what we've done, to think about the bumpy roads that we've traveled, all of the mistakes that we've made, the sins we've committed, the ways that we've worked to make ourselves better, and know there are moments in our life where that experience and wisdom is needed. We can't hide it. We shouldn't shy away from it. We should own it and say, I have been through things. I have made myself better. Thank God. How can I help others now? Because what we don't need is perfection. And there are times where we do need the Omer, just tomorrow's another mitzvah, start again, oops, move forward. But most of the time, what we need is to grow from our mistakes, learn from our mistakes, and use those mistakes to help others. Because for those reasons, we are chosen to the service of our people. Shabbat Shalom.